You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know featuring Jay Lang. Trevor and Maria are the hosts of Lost Ones, a true crime racial justice podcast that focuses on stories of injustice committed against people of color. They both live in New York City and work in the criminal justice policy reform space. They started Lost Ones to uplift the stories of people of color, which are often ignored by mainstream media outlets. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I'm not sure who wants to start first, but I'd love to start out just hearing about you as individuals and your story, your background, where you are today and what you're doing today. Sure, I can start. My name is Trevor Smith. I am originally from Germantown, Maryland. Now I live in uh, New York City. I'm a part-time grad student um, working full-time at the ACLU of New York where I do media. So it was very natural for me to to like start a podcast or think about starting a podcast. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a, a, a black man born to um, parents who are from Sierra Leone, which is in Western Africa. So yeah. My name is Maria Raphael. I live and work in Brooklyn, New York. I work at the Vera Institute of Justice, which is a criminal justice policy reform think tank as a researcher. And I'm originally from um, the Philippines. I was born overseas and then came here with my parents when I was about like three or four. I grew up in New Jersey and yeah, now living in New York. What led you to your current interests and passions and work in the criminal justice reform space? Right. So I think for me, it was seeing injustice from a very early age. As most young Black teens, when you have uh, your first interaction with the police officer, um, that sort of sticks with you. So for me, summer going into my senior year of high school, me and a couple of friends, we had just finished playing FIFA on PS3, and we had made like some bets. And we had, you know, two people lost, like two people owed the other two people $20. So we go to 7-Eleven, we drive to 7-Eleven, go in, get the cash, get some Slurpees as teenagers do. And we walk out and I was one of the people who was receiving cash. I had won. So one of my friends handed me $20 and somebody else handed the, the other friend $20. We each get in our respective cars and we leave. And so we're driving on the freeway and then all of a sudden... A police officer stops us as we were speeding. I don't think we were speeding. Ask the driver if they can search the car. You know, my friend, we're at 16 at this time. He says, sure. End up searching the car. They, they take us out. They handcuff us on the middle of the sideway and are searching through the car and don't really find much. They find like a grinder. We're 16 years old. We have like, you know, not a lot of money. I think they find like less than half of a gram of weed. And so they're pretty disappointed. And they, they let us go. They write us up for um, paraphernalia. And we get back in the car. We're, we're pissed off. And we call our friend. And we're, we're, we're about to tell him what happens. And he goes, you won't believe what happened to me. And he got stopped as well. And so what we came to later figure out is that they saw the exchange in the parking lot over of $20 and assumed that it was a drug deal and followed both of us 
stopped both of us for speeding and proceeded to try and, and hit us with something. And so I think since then, I've really been, I knew like since then that I wanted to go into a career that focused on like criminal justice, um, but more so like economic justice, because, you know, I come from a place of privilege. And so do a lot of my friends. We grew up in the suburbs of, of Maryland, uh, suburbs of DC in Maryland from middle-class families. And so for lower income black kids, it might've been a different turnout. So that for me was kind of the genesis of why I went into this work. And Maria, how about you? Yeah, for me, it's it's also personal, but not as, of course, deeply personal and profound as the story that Trevor shared. So thank you for sharing that also, by the way. But for me, I mean, growing up as uh, an immigrant um, from Southeast Asia, living on the East Coast, living in suburban New Jersey, central New Jersey, I felt always kind of othered from like an identity standpoint, from a social standpoint. And so that was always something like, navigating my personal identity in relation to others and the way that I should present myself to pass in certain settings was always something that I had been thinking about like ever since I was young. And then it wasn't really though until college that I really felt that otherization in a lot more extreme way because I went to a fancy private school that was majority white, majority like very independently wealthy kids. And so it was kind of that experience that really pushed me to really interrogate my identity as an Asian American and what that means for showing up in different settings. I became really closely and deeply involved with a lot of stuff happening on campus um, in with like affinity groups and sort of around junior, senior year for me. Um, I'm also, I'm 26. Um, so sort of around junior, senior year for me was around the time that a lot of police violence, um, shootings of Black men were happening sort of like at the forefront of the media. And seeing that happen, being on campus and on a campus that was as white and privileged as it was presented a unique opportunity for me to think about how I would show up in that space. And so I think that that for me was a really big turning point in my life and also helps me realize that the privilege that I have also as someone who comes from uh, middle class, grew up in the suburbs, and then also had a really great education and someone who isn't Black and who hasn't had interactions with the criminal justice system in the same way that others have. That all to me really motivated me to enter this space and decide to pursue a career in this space. And it's something that I still think about often in terms of how I how I want to do my best job doing this work and making sure that I'm actually uplifting the voices of those who are affected, but coming at it from a place where it is also somewhat personal and informed by my own identity. I love that, that contemplation, you know, how do I do my best job in this space? I think that's really important. Now, in terms of the podcast, whose idea was this and how did this begin? It was my idea. I had the idea for a while. Um, I always wanted to do something after graduating. I always wanted to do something creative. I majored in journalism, but I didn't end up going into journalism. I went into advocacy communications. Um, and I wanted to do something creative for a while. And so I've had this idea for a couple of years. 
but I knew that I wanted to do it with someone. I, I needed a co-host and I didn't have, I, wa- I knew I, w- I wanted a co-host and I knew I wanted like a female co-host of color. And so I've always had this interest in true crime. I've always had this interest of lifting up stories that like I didn't really see in the media. And a, a lot of the story uh, and stories that we, that weren't covered in like true crime documentaries or other true crime podcasts. So I've always like had this idea of doing um, a podcast or, like around this idea of lifting up like voice of stories that aren't told then i finally met maria and i i told her that i had this idea and she was like yeah like i'm interested in doing it so it's been really great we're pretty new but hoping to keep this going and um both be creative but also you know really stick to our mantra of being like a true crime racial justice podcast and really focus on telling the stories in a way that touches on race and the inequalities that often come as a result of a person's race Do you want to add anything to that, Maria? I was really excited, I guess, when um, Trevor approached me about this idea, because definitely, you know, watched and followed different true crime media, not as much as a junkie, I would say, as Trevor definitely is. But also for me, this work, this podcast is something that it's something that I, I do constantly think about. And I do think a lot about uh, media portrayals of of crime, of criminal justice, of people of color, of impacted communities. And so, and I also am a creative person. And so this was sort of like the perfect marriage of all of those things. And to get to work on something with Trevor was also really an exciting opportunity. So I had to say yes. Yeah. And I really like the the weight of carrying other people's stories and bringing people to light that haven't been really looked at. That is a tremendous weight, right? And it's interesting because I am not a true crime person at all. Like I don't follow true crime podcasts. I don't follow the shows and stuff. I have friends who are just absolute junkies and this is a thing. But I have listened to all of your episodes and I absolutely loved learning these stories. And I was really drawn in by just, you know, each individual person, each story, the way that you put this together. And I'm kind of curious, like what goes into deciding who you're going to talk about, when you're going to talk about it, what has helped guide and influence you in who you choose when? And, you know, maybe if you want to talk about your shows or one in particular, you know, you could do that for us. Yeah. So we actually spent a huge amount of time uh, this summer planning, like planning the podcast and planning how the structure and the stories that we wanted to cover. It's taken like some planning and like some research, but um, like the way that we go about it is that because, you know, we have full-time jobs, I'm in school, you know, we're busy people. And so uh, we do try to, to find that balance of stories that have been covered a little bit, like, but that we're not seeing like trending on, on social media or another true crime podcast has, has covered it. We try to like stick to podcasts that, stick to stories that haven't been covered um, in other podcasts. And then in terms of like identities, we just kind of listed out all the identities that we wanted to cover. Black woman, black man. We want to do, uh, we are going to do um, a story about a, um, a transgender person. The story that we're doing right now is about a young uh, Hispanic girl. And so that's kind of just the way we've been doing it. It's not really any rhyme or reason, but just, you know, looking at the different identities and doing it in a way that it's not like, you know, black man after black man. Um, so there's just a little bit of diversity in the, in the stories that we do. Yeah. So how many episodes do you have out at this point? 
I think we have three stories out at this point. We had one sort of Mm -hmm. primer episode that sort of gets the listeners oriented to what this podcast is and isn't about. Uh, So for Mm -hmm. folks who are interested in listening to our podcast, I would suggest starting with that so you can sort of ground yourself in the types of stories that we'll be talking about. We think that that's really important. That's a big reason why we started off with that intro app. Yeah. And I think the most recent episode that we have out, which I did want to just talk a little bit about if we have the time, is the story of um, India Cummings. I don't know. You said you listened to all the episodes, right? Yes. And that story for me, that was profoundly impactful. And I would love for you guys to talk about that because so often people just don't understand the idea and the concept around like systemic racism and the impacts that that has on people of color. And I feel like India's case on every possible level highlights the breakdown and the miscarriage of justice on so many levels. So yeah, I would love to have you talk about that. Let me ask you this. So who decided to cover India? Whose idea was it? And what was it like digging into her story? Yeah. um, So it was actually, it was my idea. I had found the case. I had heard about it. It's a case that's local to New York. I mean, it's in upstate New York. We're in the city. Living in this state, we were really plugged into all the stuff that's happening locally. And so that's kind of how I caught wind of India's story. Um, I also had some colleagues at my job who are working um, on a report that focuses on issues of mental health treatment in upstate detention facilities. And so that also definitely, you know, speaking with them about the work that they do helped to also inform a lot of the content that we get into into the episode, um, in the episode. But to give a little preview for uh, folks who are listening to this who haven't listened to the India Cummings episode on our channel, we really get into, obviously, always our stories are focused on the person who was harmed. That's definitely something that I think sets lost ones apart from a lot of other true crime media, which we think really focuses too much time and energy and effort spent on the perpetrators of the harm. And a lot of what we're seeking to do is to sort of flip that on its head and really focus more on the people who have been harmed. And so, of course, India Cummings is, she herself is central to um, the story and the way that we tell the story. But I also did want to tell her story, not just because of what happened to her, but also how it is, as you mentioned, this, this systematic issue. And in the episode, we cover everything from the inadequacies of uh, law enforcement in addressing medical and mental health issues. We talk about the role of uh, the county sheriff in the American criminal legal system. We talk about how it is like this disturbing pattern of inmate deaths, particularly in rural communities. And it's also really a big problem in upstate New York. Um, And so diving a bit into the particulars of India's story, India Cummings was a 27-year-old Black woman who died, I suppose, technically while in custody at the Erie County Holding Center, which is a jail in Erie County, upstate New York, just two years ago, I believe. I'll get into a little bit of like all the steps that sort of led towards her untimely and and really horrific death. She was experiencing a mental health episode, the particulars of which are not really widely reported about. So I'm sorry that I can't like share more than that, but that's as much as I know and that we talk about in the episode. So she experiences some sort of mental health episode while she's in her home in Erie County. She's actually the one who calls 911 um, to request help from somebody because she knows that she's not feeling well. 
Of course, the police show up and as all too often happens, they do not get her any sort of like psychological evaluation. They don't get her any mental health treatment, but immediately they book her into the jail. And that's where she would spend two weeks until she was eventually transferred out into a local hospital where she would die. And in those two weeks, she would continue, her mental health would continue to suffer. And even like her physical body would deteriorate. And she was wasting away in herself, exhibiting very clear signs of mental illness, smearing feces on the wall, uh, taking off all of her clothes, stuffing them in the toilet, flooding the cell, not like refusing to eat, not eating. And then at some point, you know, she, it became very physical as well. And she like had not urinated for, I think something like 72 hours, something like that. All of this happening while correctional officers refused to get her the medical and mental health treatment that she so obviously needed. And then at the very last minute, finally decided that it was severe enough that they had to transport her to get medical help. And at that point, it was too late. So it really is just like this tragic story of this young woman who after who was otherwise relatively healthy and after only two weeks in a jail deteriorated and died. And the framing that we really use in the episode is that it is, you know, a case of injustice, but it is also in in a very true way, a murder really at the hands of the carceral state. Like it was essentially a death sentence to take somebody who had for the first time mental health issues, incarcerate them and subject them to those conditions and refuse to get them treatment. And all of that really we frame as an, you know, uh, medical negligence and ultimately a murder at the hands of the carceral state. But one of the things that we do cover in the episode is that we we talk a little bit about the sheriff who has jurisdiction over Erie County Jail. Um, his name is Sheriff Timothy Howard. And ever since he was elected, and by the way, he's been reelected, I think like four times by his constituents. I don't want to get the number incorrect, but many people have died under his watch um, in his custody since he's hmm. been in power there. He's somewhat infamous in upstate New York. He's kind of like a mini Joe Arpaio type, like definitely notorious for saying problematic, very right wing things. And then also certainly for for the amount of incarcerated individuals who have died under his watch. So what are your plans for the future with the podcast, future episodes? Is there anything that you'd like to talk about with that? Right now, Maria and I are both working on an episode. My episode is um, on a, a young girl named Duchi Alaves. I don't want to give away too much because I want folks to, to tune in, but she is a five-year-old girl from New Jersey who is still missing, who went missing under very uh, strange circumstances. So that'll be our next episode and Maria's will be on. Yeah, the one that I'm working on is a story of an Alaska Native woman. And we actually do know a little bit more about the circumstances of her death and we know who the killer is. So that'll be a really interesting story to tell since in the first episode, I guess I did, that was, it was a missing persons case. We didn't know the killer. And so that was kind of a frustrating point of working on that episode was not knowing sort of the outcome. So I was really interested to work on this specific case. I think for the future, we're thinking about in 2020, doing like maybe like a, like a serial style podcast or like at least half of a season where we dive into one story. Um, we pick a case and we dive into it and maybe switching off of like, of like who hosts uh, that story and maybe like changing up our format a little bit because the way that we do it right now is that I have no idea about the case that Maria presents 
like the Maria covers. Um, so when she's like, when we're recording all my reactions, all my questions and vice versa are all like, they're actual mm -hmm. and they're not like pre-written or anything. So I have no idea right. like, what she's like, no idea about the case. And so I think next year we're thinking about maybe doing it a little bit differently where we're both like research the story and tell it together. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. Think that's what's going to happen in 2020. Big things in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds interesting because your format currently is you each take a story. And I like that. I think it's interesting because as she's telling the story or as you're telling the story, one of you is asking the questions that we're all sort of sitting there thinking as we're listening as well. So I do appreciate that vantage point. I think that's pretty cool. But the thing I was going to ask is, you know, just more in depth, like episode one was on Barbara Jean Dreher. Is that how you pronounce her yeah. name? So on Barbara Jean Dreher. And it's a case of a missing woman, right? How is that as you're digging into these things and these really old cases, does that take an emotional toll on you? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think I'm starting to realize it a little bit more. I think when we, throughout the summer and when we first started, I was trying to listen to as many true crime podcasts as I could, kind of just like do research about like, how do other podcasts like approach it? What are their formats? The inflection of their voices? What stories are, there t are they telling? And yeah, you're right. It does take a toll on you. And I think now I've cut back the amount of other true crime podcasts that I listen to. Now it's at least like in the past couple of weeks, it's been mostly just focusing on the stories that we're going to cover because I'm reading about and listening to death and murder and missing cases, it's hard, you know, it's, and then when you have that, and then you couple that with the news and the news is often depressing, you know, day after day in New York city, people are getting arrested. People and the of color, work that we do. right. And the work that we do, like people are getting arrested every day for something as simple as selling a churro in a subway. So like in our spare time, we're listening to like murder cases. And then in our work, we're listening to like people getting arrested and trying to like undo the injustice that is within the criminal legal system. So it's hard, uh, especially because this is supposed to be like our outlet, but mm -hmm. it is like a, a difficult outlet at times. So taking a step back and trying to take a breather at times is helpful. Yeah, that's like a strong ditto for me, actually. Those were all the things that I was going to say. I've like, ever since we started this, really pared back how much I listen to other true crime podcasts because it's hard to be confronted with it all the time. And as I'm researching things and Obviously, a big part of our podcast is also being very critical of law enforcement and the choices that they make when they're pursuing or failing to pursue um, some of these cases. It can be, you know, very frustrating. It can feel like sometimes weirdly, you know, personal. And then also definitely uh, with what we do for our day jobs, it, it's hard to be, you know, in the daytime sitting at your desk working on these very similar things and then going home, working on the podcast, looking at the same types of stories. So it does get pretty overwhelming. I can imagine. This case that really got me interested in doing this and like broke my heart was the case of Relisha Rudd. And Relisha Rudd is yeah. a, a young girl um, out of D.C. who was living in a homeless shelter and she went missing and she is still has not been found till this day. And the last person who was seen with her on camera was a janitor at the homeless shelter who took his life like a year or two after um, Relisha went missing. And so, and before that, he had not been that cooperative with the police department. And so, you know, I think the the thought and like the chances of finding Relisha kind of dwindled when when he took his life. And I want to make sure that 
her story lives on. And so whenever I do get the chance to talk, when people ask, like, why did you start this? I bring up Relisha. And Relisha has gotten a lot of coverage from the local DC press, from national press, the mayor there, Mayor Bowser. She tweets about Relisha. And so while we might not cover Relisha, she inspired us to create this podcast so that we can tell stories of other little black girls, little brown girls who are missing or who have been murdered or have had cases of injustice done to them, but their stories aren't as well known. And, you know, ideally it'd be great, obviously, if one of the cases that we do cover, one of the missing cases that we do cover, the murder cases that have not been solved, maybe spark a thought in someone's head or makes them think about something or makes them reach out to someone. Obviously, I think any podcaster would love to close a cold case. And obviously that that would be ideal, but I think uh, more realistically, we hope to just get the stories that aren't told because of the missing white girl syndrome, which uh, Maria can talk about a little bit more. Because of this missing white girl syndrome, the stories of girls of color, of women of color, of people of color are just not told within mainstream media as much as they should. Maria, tell us about the missing white girl syndrome. Yeah. Um, so the missing white girl syndrome is something that we cover in the first episode about Barbara Jean Dreher, who is a black woman who went missing. And sort of in the episode, I bring up um, sort of this unfair, disparate treatment of missing women when they are white versus when they are black or just non-white. And so missing white women or missing white girl syndrome is sort of, is like a term that is used by a lot of people, by like social scientists, by true crime reporters, by media commentators. And it's really this notion of this undue focus on the upper middle class white woman who disappears, this like sympathetic, conventionally attractive white woman who just garners more sympathy from wider audiences. And so the media will focus more on cases um, like that rather than the cases of missing women of color, women of lower social classes, missing men, missing boys. Yeah, so that's a little bit about um, defining that term. If I could talk a little bit about a response to your question about the why, kind of yeah. as um, definitely all of what Trevor mentioned. And then also as you were pivoting towards in the end about, you know, if anything, we want this podcast to just get people thinking more critically about these types of things to really just add something new to this space that we think just isn't there. Again, a big reason why we started the podcast was because we didn't see a lot of podcasts out there that were focusing on the stories of people of color and that were focusing on the person who was harmed in the crime. And what we really want is to talk about crimes, not just committed by, you know, these really high profile serial killers and, you know, getting into the minds of serial killers. We want to talk about things that are also, I think, under the umbrella of true crime um, crimes that are committed by government actors, crimes that are racially motivated and talking about, you know, how American society and our criminal legal system is built and upheld in such a way that it allows certain people to commit crimes and get away with it. We're not just talking about, you know, hyper sensationalized people. We want to talk about, you know, cops, sheriffs, prosecutors, all of that to us falls under this umbrella of true crime. And so that's also definitely a big part of my why as well. We started this podcast also to kind of shake up the true crime podcast world. From what we've seen and from what we've heard, 
many of the hosts of TrueCon podcasts are are white people. Um, and then I think just because of maybe like what they're comfortable with or like, I, I don't really know, but a lot of the cases that they cover, victims and the perpetrators are of white people. And I, I think that they often shy away from race, even when they talk about cases where the people being targeted are sex workers of color. They don't really get into why they might have a sentence saying like, you know, the the perpetrator, the, the serial killer preyed on these women because they were uh, sex workers. Uh, they were black sex workers who they thought no one would care about. And then they, they just keep talking and they don't like dig into that. You know, well, why did that serial killer have that thought? Why? Who reinforces that thought? Who allows him to get away with this? How can it be that so many sex workers were going missing and the cops weren't alerted or the cops weren't alarmed? What were like the other social factors going on at that time in that era that allowed this to happen? How does white supremacy further that? How is it, how is this still going on? So many questions that you could dig into that I feel like white podcasters like stray away from because I feel like they're not like comfortable getting into it or the thought that just doesn't cross their mind. And so we were listening to a, a popular podcast that they were describing a serial killer and they were like, you know, when I saw a picture of this guy, he just looked like a normal guy. And so I was like, I paused the podcast. I was like, I got to see what this guy looks looks like. So I look him up and he's like a white guy. But to me, that is what a serial killer looks like. Like, I, I think that serial killers look like the Jeffrey Dahmers and like th this guy, his name was I Israel Keys. Like, it looks like and like the John Wayne Gacy, who was like a clown. Like he, he was a he dressed up as a clown for, for kids. Like they're ordinary looking white guys to me. Um, and so it was, it was really, I think, disingenuous for her. I didn't know what she was trying to get at when she said like, you know, she doesn't remind me of a serial killer. So what exactly mm -hmm. does a serial killer look like to you? And so for me, when I heard that, I was like, I knew that I had to start a podcast because I knew that we, like our voices were needed, um, in this space. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll be able to go to like conferences and be able to just like meet other people. Uh, podcasters and like tell tell them about like you know this is why we started this podcast this is this is some of the stuff that we're hoping to talk about um in the hopes that they realize that you know they can talk more about race and that like the podcast world right now like the true crown podcast world like very much like talks about it at a surface level that's why i love what you guys are doing because you understand you have a lived experience and that's something that people can't just all of a sudden have. Just to quickly jump off of that earlier point, I mean, I'm just so glad that you brought that up because even without talking about it with Trevor and like not knowing like which exact episode or like which exact podcast, which exact episode, I happened to listen to the exact same one and have the exact same reaction. I feel like I came to Trevor like the day after and was like, I listened to this episode and this crazy thing happened. Can you believe it? And we both like really connected over that point, which I feel like speaks to the sometimes singular experience of non-white people who are consuming white media. And then also, yeah. you know, yeah, definitely confirm that this is something that we need to be doing because this is, if it's a, sp a perspective and an opinion that we both shared that means other people are probably thinking about it too when they're listening to that podcast. And so we need to sort of weigh in and have, have our perspective shared with, with other folks. 
Yeah. And then I think on your point, I was actually talking about this at work today because I feel like people of color, they often say it's not other people. of It's not like people of color's job to like to like, you know, lead this work or like to, to tell white people to like to get their shit together. But then they also say that, like, you know, white people take up too much space. So I feel like it's about right. like, you can't have it both ways. So and so for me, I do think that yeah. we need white people to talk about race more. And I and I think yeah. that it it's harder for white people because you all don't think about it every single day in a way that like a black person wakes up and like thinks about it within the first two hours of their day. Um, that doesn't mean though that you're you're like unqualified to talk about race. Like I. Like, let's say I watch a little bit of basketball and there's some guys in my office talking about basketball. I, I can engage in the conversation. Like, I, I think it's just about like talking about like what you know. And so like if you're doing a podcast where you're doing research, um, you can like, you know, read up. You can do research if you have time. It'd be great if you can, as you said, bring a voice of color in and interview someone. I know that oftentimes like a lot of these podcasts are just indie podcasts self-funded you might not have time to do that but i do think that you can look up an interview um on youtube you can um talk to some of your if you have friends of color talk to some of your friends of color see what they think about it and then bring those thoughts in but i just don't think that you you should just always stay at the surface level especially when the crime was committed um specifically because of that person's race yeah i think to piggyback off yeah. of that, I think that's like exactly the right take of like, it's almost like it's a disservice and it's not doing your full job as a reporter or a podcaster. If you're not researching that, if you're not looking into it, if you're not trying to talk about it, because it is so critical and central to a lot of the cases that we cover. For me, I podcast, but my main work is on the ground, you know, within my family and in social spheres and stuff. and so. For me to understand that doing this work means that I'm not taking on the role of an educator and I'm not trying to inform people. I'm doing all of my internal work, you know, and then doing work to support Black, Indigenous, people of color as leaders and things like that. There's almost like this easier separation and delineation there. But when I'm thinking about, well, what does that then look like in the true crime podcasting world? And that's a right. whole world. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's it's as if there's an entirely different conversation that could even take place within your sphere and your niche in talking about this and in getting people more engaged on this level so that they can tell stories more fully right. and completely. So that's really right. interesting. Like, we're no like historians or anything, but I think something that we're trying to get better at and trying to do more of is really talk about some of like the historical moments that have like brought us to where we are today. And I think that's also, that's another thing that's often glossed over because our second episode was on like James Byrd Jr., which was a case about a white supremacist killing a black man. And I was listening to like one or two other podcasts had talked about it. And I feel like one thing that like wasn't discussed was how the history of men or black men being dragged as like a form of lynching. Like I think that when people think of lynching in America, they often think of um, people being hung by, by a tree, which is the way that it often did happen. But, you know, white supremacists are creative and they used to 
kill and maim black people in various ways. Um, one of which was tying them to a horse and dragging them until they died. And so all the other podcasts, there was only like two that had done uh, James Bird Jr. mention, or they, they did not mention the fact that like, this is like a historical thing. Um, and James Bird Jr. was murdered in the 90s. And so they were really tapping into the white supremacy that is like embedded within the United States and like really reaching into their toolbox. Yeah. And like, and, and I feel like they did that for a reason. Like they were like reminiscing on, on a time where they could get away with dragging a black man behind a horse. And, but in this case, it was a truck. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully they did not get away with it, but yeah, I, I do hope also that our podcast like kind of grounds itself in history. Yeah. And again, like for people who are listening, who are like, ah, you know, I'm not really a true crime person. I'm not either. But I feel like the way that you report on these stories and tell these stories, you do so in a way where you say like, hey, you know, the next little bit is going to be a little tough if there are kids around, you know, or whatever, you don't want them to listen. But I feel like um, your goal isn't like, like, I guess, let me ask you, do you have sort of a a ceiling that you won't go beyond in terms of the storytelling? You know, like it seems like some people are really into the gory details and that's what they focus on. Cause like you said, they're focused on the crime, the criminal act, the criminal, you know, versus the victim. And, and maybe that's the difference is because you're telling the story of the victim, you don't get as explicit in that regard. Is that something that you've decided on consciously? Or is that just a reflection of kind of who you guys are and how you prefer to storytell? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily exactly a line, but something that that, I mean, I'm thinking about the episode that I'm working on right now and the script that I've developed for it where I actually, I did make the conscious decision to omit some details about um, the perpetrator or the harm or the killer. I did decide to, uh, there are a lot of like, not a lot, I, it's not super widely reported about, but it is a case that has has received some media attention. And almost all of the reports um, include sort of excerpts from racist posts that the, that the killer um, has shared on social media. And I made the conscious decision not to put that in our podcast, not to even like give those words like the light of day, like the the time slot on our podcast. I just don't think that that's the place to be sharing those types of, you know, that type of information. Like, I just don't think that it deserves to get our airtime. And so, yeah, it's interesting because I didn't even really think about it in a conscious way of like, well, this is the line that our podcast draws, but it just, it felt like it, it was just my personal reaction to, to that situation. Right. I, yeah, exactly what, what Maria said. And I think we just try to approach it with compassion because these are all sad stories. And I think we try to tell the story, or at least I, I think about telling stories like what if India Cummings, like mother is listening to this, mm-hmm. like, obviously like, he probably won't, but he does. Wow. You know, we want to tell the story where when at the end, her mother will be able to, you know, walk away from it, um, knowing that we treated and we treated and we will treat her daughter and others with the respect that they deserve. And I can see that it's different and I really appreciate it. And it's a podcast that I'm going to be listening to. And I'm looking very forward to what you guys have in store here. 
in 2020 and the new format. Now, I'd like to just finish up by asking you to share where people can follow you, how they can support you. And if you have any books or recommendations, maybe documentaries or anything for people who want to learn more about the criminal justice system and how to become more active and involved in shaping and changing it. Yeah, I can do the social media plugs. You can follow us on Instagram at Lost Ones Pod, and you can also listen to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, but we're definitely on Apple and also on Spotify. We're actually this is kind of news, Jen. Actually, <laughs> we we paired up with a media company, and so we're actually going to be. I say everywhere you get podcasts, and I said it with a little bit of uncertainty because I'm not sure if it's like totally like live and active yet, but we will be very soon, if not already right now, when this podcast comes, when this episode comes out on everywhere that you can listen to podcasts, because we teamed up with someone who's going to get us on every platform out there. Awesome. In terms of book recommendations, I think that everyone should just start with The New Dream Crow by Michelle Alexander. It's just like a really good overview of like the current mass incarceration catastrophe. And then the other book I would recommend, which isn't Per, uh, necessarily about, it isn't about like the criminal justice system, but The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. It talks about like de jure and de facto segregation, um, which is like segregation that was like mandated by law. And then like segregation that just kind of like, it wasn't mandated by law, but like happens. And that's like what we are living in today, where like our schools and our neighborhoods are segregated and like segregation and like the economic factors that belie a neighborhood influence a person's life. And if you grew up in a low income neighborhood um, that doesn't have a lot of resources, doesn't get a lot of resources from like the city or the state or the federal government, that's more likely to have crime, you're more likely to end up in the criminal justice system. So I think that understanding the economic and social factors that lead people to not be able to climb out of like low opportunity neighborhoods into high opportunity neighborhoods is one thing. And then understanding how like the over-policing, the war on drugs and, and like parole and um, all the things that have, le have led to the current mass incarceration crisis today. I think those would be two good starts. Well, Trevor and Maria, I thank you so much for the work that you do and for coming on the show. And everybody who's listening, please go and follow Lost Ones podcast and give them a listen and actually review yes. and yeah. rate <laughs> as well. Thanks thank so you much so much for having guys. us.